I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Lesson 1, in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Solomon writes, With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. In our passage today, Solomon starts to wrap up his somewhat detailed testimony of how he watched this naive youth enter into an adulterous woman's home for the night. He had probably secretly watched in the evening because he had expected it. He'd seen it coming. He had expected it because he somehow knew about how she had approached him and lured him in earlier in the day. Against what should have been his better judgment, the kid gave in to her persuasions. Looking back over the previous couple of chapters, Solomon's warning to his son started with warning him about her lips dripping with honey and how her speech is smoother than oil. And now we see what he was talking about as these events have come full circle. If this kid were to be likened to an engine that was all dried out, it was her words that served as the oil that allowed it to get revved up again. The only chance this poor kid ever could have had would have been to have run away the moment she approached him. A foolish man who's in the heat and passion of the moment never thinks of consequences, just like an ox who's being lured to the slaughterhouse. An ox is a strong but stupid animal. That's what Solomon likens this naive kid to. Although he didn't think about it at the time, this woman now holds his fate in her hands. One word, just one word to her husband about what has transpired, and this kid could very easily find his own death around any corner in town. We saw at the end of chapter 6 that the consequences for engaging in such an adulterous encounter would be something that the man would never be able to find forgiveness from the husband for. An ox being led to the slaughter doesn't even consider the possibility of danger when it's being lured to the place of his death. Suddenly and unexpectedly, the animal is dealt a death blow that's too swift for the ox to react to. The reference to the liver here can possibly refer to a number of things, but it seems most likely that Solomon is referring to a venereal disease, which settles in the liver of a person and slowly and painfully kills them. We have the same thing in our world today, actually. One sexual encounter with a person is all that it takes to bring disease, discomfort, and death upon a person, not to mention the disgrace that will weigh on their conscience for the rest of their life. If they ever allow their conscience to be awakened, they'll likely snuff it right out again upon the realization that they're guilty of adultery. The heart of a person, if it's not broken in repentance, is bound to be hardened by the realization of their sin. The same sun that melts wax will harden clay. Regardless of the ultimate response to this realization, the pain that the naive kid has brought upon himself was like trading a barrel full of gold for a barrel full of manure. While that manure might eventually make the grass greener, it was nevertheless a trade that only a fool would make. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 7, verses 24 to 27, Solomon writes, Now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. 
In our passage today, Solomon finally wraps up his discussion of the dangers of falling for the temptation to engage in an adulterous encounter with a woman. We see that Solomon concludes this dissertation with what might best be likened to bookmarks. Solomon started this discussion back in chapter 5 and said, Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. That was in chapter 5, verse 7. And here he concludes this discussion with the same words. These are like narrative bookends. Solomon's advice is similar to what we've seen elsewhere. Don't even stray onto her path. Don't even let the outermost edge of your shadow darken her doorway. Stay as far away from this type of woman as you possibly can. And who would know better than Solomon, who couldn't seem to stay away from this type of woman? But because he had been there and done that, so to speak, he knew her type. He knew that this wasn't her first victim and probably wouldn't be her last. He knew that she stood on top of a heap of dead bodies, all the while beckoning more naive young men to come and tame her. Oh, he knew her type all right. But he also knew God. He knew God's ways too. And thus he was able to see his own faults and failures quite clearly. He knew that he was a vessel which, when held up to the sun, revealed multiple cracks and imperfections. He may as well have been telling his son, Do as I say, not as I do. He didn't want to see his sons turn out as cracked and as flawed as he was. And thus he gives them a call to holiness. This urging is an urging to avoid temptation altogether by walking and continuing to walk on the path of righteousness, which lights the feet of those who travel it. The path that one finds this type of woman on, on the other hand, is the path to Sheol, death. Those who step foot on the path of this woman aren't just risking their reputation, and they aren't just risking personal injury or disease. They're also risking the eternal condition of their souls. Hell is a very serious matter and a very real place, and those who are there have no way out. It's their eternal abode. It's a place that's so horrible that it's likened to being in a pit of fire, but it's also so lonely and miserable that it's likened to being in utter darkness. It's a place of weeping, which tells us that it's a place of sadness at the state of their condition. But it's also described as a place of gnashing of teeth, which tells us that it's a place of unrepentant anger on behalf of those who are there. Despite their condition, they stubbornly refuse to recognize that they deserve to be there, and instead, they blame God for their placement. People might understand hell as a place where they're separated from God, but this is actually far from the case. God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. Instead, this is a place where they're simply separated from God's mercy, just like heaven is a place where there's separation from his wrath. Mercy and wrath are two sides of the same coin. Those who walk the path where you'll find the adulterous woman's house are headed for wrath. But those who heed the wisdom of the Lord will find mercy as their permanent and eternal destination. This concludes Lesson 2. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1-5, through 5, Solomon writes, Does not wisdom call, and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gates, at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom." 
One of the things that we saw in the first couple of chapters of our study of the book of Proverbs was that Solomon used the literary tool we refer to as personification when it comes to wisdom. Solomon told us back in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. Now we have to remember that the point that Solomon was making there is that the wisdom of the Lord is available to anyone and everyone who's willing to listen. Unfortunately, however, the vast majority of people will walk right by, ignoring the pleas of wisdom, choosing to go their own ways instead. Most people will hear the words of wisdom and think to themselves, you know, I know that that's how it used to work for the people when, you know, the Bible was written and everything, but that book is so outdated, it's not relevant to the world anymore. To the contrary, my friends, Solomon makes the point in the book of Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. The wisdom of God, as recorded in Scripture, is just as helpful and just as relevant as it ever has been. And here we see a turning point that serves as sort of a contrast. We've seen the words of the wicked woman, but now we turn our attention to the words of wisdom. In the same way that a jeweler accentuates the beauty of a diamond by giving it a dark backdrop, Solomon is showing us the beauty of wisdom by having first used the wicked woman's words as a dark backdrop. We see that she, wisdom, is placed beside the gates at the opening of the city. Nobody comes into the city without passing by her. And this is in contrast to the adulterous woman, whose abode is found on a back street that most people wouldn't be found on. Wisdom is found on top of the highest point, whereas... The adulterous woman is found sneaking around in the hidden, lowly parts of town. Wisdom calls out to all of humanity, but the adulterous woman made her plea to just one individual person in private. The fact that wisdom can be seen and heard from any point in the city is of utmost importance here because it shows that nobody has an excuse for not listening. For the heart that's willing and open to being receptive. There's no place, no place that's too far for wisdom to be heard and seen from. Wisdom starts her plea by telling people not what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. For the naive, and remember that the young man who was seduced by the woman was referred to as being naive. So for the naive, understanding prudence is the prescription. For the foolish, wisdom is the word of counsel. We have to remember that when Solomon uses wisdom in this sense, he's not talking about the wisdom of men. Rather, he's referring to the wisdom of God. If foolishness is an infection, God's wisdom is the only hope and the only cure. Only God's wisdom can set a derailed life of foolishness back on track. This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 6 through 9, Solomon writes, Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things, for my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. In our passage today, Solomon continues to personify wisdom and shows us the things that she would say which lie in stark contrast to the words of the wicked woman from the previous chapter. The words of the adulterous woman are described as being like honey dripping from her lips, and Solomon told us that her words are like oil. Solomon now tells us that the words of wisdom, on the other hand, 
are noble. Wisdom says, the opening of my lips will reveal right things. When she says right things, wisdom means to refer to moral uprightness. The words of the adulterous woman, on the other hand, are designed specifically to lead to a moral downfall, if not a moral disaster. Why will the words of wisdom bring moral uprightness to the listener? She gives us a few reasons here. She tells us, first of all, that her mouth will speak truth. She's not going to tell you what you want to hear. She's more concerned with telling you what you need to hear. The unrepentant sinner doesn't want to be told that their sin is an offense to a holy and righteous God, but they need to be told that their sin is filth in his eyes. Because if they don't hear, then they don't know. And if they don't know, then they don't know what needs to be done to set things right again. The wisdom of the Lord will always speak truth, because anything less than the truth is wicked. And wisdom tells us that wickedness is an abomination to her lips. Advertisers will often slant the truth in order to sell their product, in order to be more persuasive, and the false religions of the world are no different. Mormonism teaches that Joseph Smith was a prophet, even though his lies are clear as day. Muslims teach that Muhammad was divinely inspired to write things that are diametrically opposed to the things that were divinely inspired in the Bible. There's deception in every false religion, but there's no deception in God's wisdom. The truth is sometimes a big pill to swallow, but that pill is the only cure for wickedness. The second reason that the words from the mouth of wisdom will bring moral uprightness to the listener is because all of her utterances are in righteousness. Solomon tells us that there's no crookedness or perversion in the wisdom of the Lord. The righteousness of the Lord is the straight line by which all other lines are judged as being either straight or crooked. God's righteousness is like the level that measures whether a structure is slanted or straight. It's like the plumb line that determines whether every brick lines up perfectly with the cornerstone, which, as we've seen in our studies in Romans chapter 10 is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. The third reason that the words from the mouth of wisdom will bring moral uprightness is because the person who understands her words finds them to be straightforward. Many people talk about how the Bible is so mysterious, but really it's it's not a book of mystery at all. There are very few things in God's economy that remain a mystery. Most of it is written in very plain, simple, straightforward language. The Gospel of John, for example, is a book that most Greek students start with because the Greek that it was written in is a very simple Greek. The Greek used by the author of the book of Hebrews, on the other hand, is extremely difficult to interpret. But the Gospel of John is very easy to understand and clearly reveals the universal condition of humanity, which is sinfulness. It clearly identifies the person of Jesus as the God who created all things. That's from John chapter 1, verse 3. And it reveals Jesus as the one and only remedy in the broken relationship between God and man. The person who reads the book of John and truly inclines their heart toward wisdom will not miss these three elements. Whether or not they respond in faith depends on a number of factors, not the least of which being the Father calling the individual to put their trust for salvation in Jesus. Those who incline their ears, minds, and hearts to understanding the wisdom of the Lord will find themselves leaning more and more toward his moral uprightness. This concludes Lesson 4. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. 
If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus.